Lonely Monk Productions. I don't know if y'all have heard Truck by Illuminati Hotties yet, but yo! That's my joy! That's my joy! What's good, friends and family, neighbors near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. John Jacob Barbenheimer Schmidt, a.k.a. Talk to me so you can see... Oh, what's going, John? <laughs> A.K.A. Nate 3.0. Back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. On today's episode, I am joined by Preston Elliott, he of Preston and Steve, for an epic chat about his life, his career in Philly radio, and so much more. And that's coming up in a minute. But first, yo, 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 what it is. I hope y'all are staying cool out there this dirty, hot summer. Man, it has been brutal. I don't know what it is this summer, but I just can't take the heat. It's beating me up and it's taking my lunch money day in and day out. But, you know, at least I have some liquid IV to help out with that. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. Know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, God, it's gross. How quickly I shill. But no, the heat stinks, man. I am not a fan. I played an outdoor gig at Tex-Mex Connection recently, and I was a sticky, sweaty mess by the end of the third song. No bueno. But speaking of that show and the other shows I've played recently, you can check those out up on the Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash yo, that's my John. And I do it all for the likes. So like that, John. And, you know, while we're on the topic, get at us on all the socials at Yo, That's My John. And there's so many of them out there now, and we're on them. So follow us at Yo, That's My John. And hey, why don't you go ahead and be a pal and sign on up for our mailing list? It's free, and it gets you all the news and goings on fit to print delivered straight into your inbox. Just go to www.yothatsmyjohn.com, and you put your little email address in the pop-up, you hit submit, and boom, we are instant friends. I got some mailing list exclusives coming in the next few weeks, so if you want to be one of the cool kids with the inside deets, jump on the list. You know, one of the things that comes up in conversation that Preston and I talk a bit about here is the Telecommunications Act of 1996. And for those unfamiliar, what this legislation did was eliminate the cap on nationwide radio station ownership, and it allowed an entity to own up to four stations in a single market. All right. You know, they sold it and painted it as some kind of move to open the market to more and new radio ownership. But Of course, what happened was the complete opposite. It created fertile ground for corporations to buy out smaller independent stations and allowed for a monopolization of markets. And to me, 
It was a large aspect of the perfect storm that changed the face of the music industry. Did it act alone? Of course not. There are so many aspects that caused the seismic shift. You know, record label desire to create fewer new legacy artists who would eventually want to renegotiate contracts once they gained power and popularity. Uh, bloated sales numbers generated by big box stores like Best Buy and Walmart who treated CDs as a loss leader to get people in their stores. Uh, the long lack of a format change from CDs to something new, leaving no real reason for people to repurchase the back catalog of the artists that they love that they already owned in an outdated format. Look, guys, do I need to get the red string out to show you? That's the real question, isn't it? Why? The how and the who is just scenery for the public. Why? Who benefited? Who has the power to cover it up? Who? (laughs) All right. All right. I kid. But no, to me, the Telecom Act of 96 played an enormous part in all of it. You know, as corporations gobbled up radio stations across the country, the days of DJs and music directors having control over what is played on the station went away. And they were replaced by market researchers and consultants. And, you know, with that, independent and local artists found even less and less opportunity to break through on major stations. You know, there was a time not so long ago when an act could get a good local following in one market and then organically grow with the rumbling of like, oh, I hear there's this band in Philly that's blowing up the charts. Maybe we should take a look at them here in D.C. or New York. But that model doesn't really exist anymore. You know, thankfully, we still have stations like WXPN and KCRW and other non-commercial radio stations picking up what was lost. You know, but it is what it is. It's just a new world with new challenges. So now, if you do not mind, I'm going to put away the red string, take a short break. And when we come back, my interview with Preston Elliott. Yo, That's My John is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, it is festival season. And you know me, I love a festival. And the secret to enjoying a festival is to stay hydrated. Liquid IV has you covered while you prep before, power through to the headliner, and recover after the weekend. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. Man, I love Liquid IV. It comes in a convenient packaging, and it's tasty. When you see me at the Exponential Music Festival this fall, you know that I will have Liquid IV on me. And it comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. All right, strawberry used to be my favorite, but they have this new one. It's strawberry lemonade, and it is a banger. One stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Liquid IV believes that equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. So Liquid IV partners with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50-plus countries around the world. Okay, and you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the promo code YTMJ at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using the promo code YTMJ at liquidiv.com. Do it, and let's get our fests on. My guest today is a DJ, philanthropist, and all-around good guy. 
For over 25 years, he has graced the airwaves of Philadelphia Radio on the legendary stations WDRE, Y100, and now WMMR. As one half of the titular broadcast team, Preston and Steve, along with Steve Morrison, he has been inducted into the halls of fame of not only the broadcast pioneers of Philadelphia, but also the Radio Hall of Fame. Throughout the years, he has worked with and brought attention to area charities such as Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, Phil Abundance, A Mother's Wish, and Walk a Mile in Her Shoes, just to name a few. And folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show, Preston Elliott. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Preston Elliott. Preston, thank you for joining me today on Yo, That's My John. Absolutely. Happy to be here, Nate. Call, thanks for calling me great. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, we uh, met recently at the uh, Take, uh, Take Steps uh, walk for uh, Crohn's colitis and, and IBD and all that. My sister has Crohn's. And uh, after we talked and I gave you my business card, I uh, turned to her and I said, hey, Nat, uh, thanks for having Crohn's. Like, I just got to. <laughs> <laughs> if something good comes out of it, it's That's the fact right. that we met. How about that's that? That's right. That's right. But um, but um, how how long have you been working with that organization? Um, it's been roughly I don't know eight or nine years or something like that. It's been a while. My daughter has uh, Crohn's, uh, and we found out when she was four years old. So we we yeah she got diagnosis early on. Um, so immediately my my wife went into you know action as far as finding groups, support groups, and things like that, and. Um, and she found this group called the Mother's Wish, and ended up becoming uh, the president of the uh, of the organization, uh, uh, along with some other great women that run it. An amazing group, uh, and that led to other uh, Crohn's and Colitis uh, groups. And we've done some things with them through the years. And and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation um, reached out uh, a number of years ago and asked if I would help to host the uh, the Take Steps Walk. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, for sure, no problem. And they kept having me back year after year. So I've been doing it for a number uh, of years hosting that that event. And um, it's great, man. They raise tons of money. Um, and it's wonderful, too, because Crohn's and, and colitis and all that is is something that that needed a spotlight because, number one, people didn't really know what it was a few years ago. I mean, you, you mentioned they were like, well, I think that sounds familiar, but I don't know what it is. And then there was kind of a jokey thing about it because it has to do with, you know, taking a dump, going to the bathroom. And, and, uh, but you know, when you find out how horrifically horribly painful it is, it's not a joke at all. It's, it's incredibly serious. And, um, and in fact, at the, at the take steps walk, it wasn't until then, because fortunately my youngest, um, has not had a really severe, uh, issue with it. It's been bad and painful along the way, but I've met people who quite literally were at the brink of pain, to where they considered taking their own lives. I mean, it was that excruciatingly painful to them. And I had no idea uh, until I got on board with that. I'm like, wow, this is okay. This is, I knew it was serious, but it, it was way more serious than I ever realized. So uh, I thank those people for stepping forward and sharing their stories to uh, opening up my eyes and everyone else's eyes. So that's why I'm happy to get the word out. And, um, you know, so if you, if, if you work in, say, a retail place and somebody comes in there like, can I use your bathroom right now? 
Um, you know, if they if they tell you they have Crohn's or colitis, you let them go because they have no choice at all. So, um, but they they do all the work. I I I do the hosting and stuff. I'm I'm the world's worst when it comes to uh, organizing and making sure that things get done that need to get done. But I'll be the mouthpiece, no problem. So I, I love being involved with those guys. Yeah, it's 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 just a, an amazing organization, you know. Like uh, my my when my sister found out, the I think it was only maybe ten years ago or something like that. But she was like hospitalized, like it was it was really bad, you know. And and continues to get um you know monthly treatments and stuff like that uh for it and all. So like you know a place where she can go talk to other people who you know know what's going on because like you said, not a lot of people know what that even means. And and yeah. and you know the jokes do come because. Because, oh, the bathroom, you got to go to the bathroom. But, like, there's so much more to it than just that, right. you know. Right. And and fortunately, the 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 community does have a sense of humor with it because I'm assuming we can use whatever language we yeah. want to. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because there's some great uh, names of groups that are there. My absolute favorite of all time is the Shitty Beatles. Uh, is a group called – and I'm like, it just – I just thought that was hilarious. It's a, it's a throwback to a, a line from the movie Wayne's World. Um, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, there are people that, that have had, you know, sections of their intestines removed. There are people that have, you know, colostomy bags and kid, little kids walking around with feeding tubes going into their nose and stuff. So it's legit. It's a real deal. It's, it's a terrible way to have to, to live. And, you know, fortunately they're making, uh, some, uh, uh some, so they're, they're gaining ground on, on the, the fight against it. And, uh, they're not there yet. A lot of work left to be done. So if you're watching this and you can contribute, uh, you can do the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation or A Mother's Wish, which is one my, my wife is uh, directly involved in. Uh, reach out and and, uh, and make a donation or, or come out to one of the events. It'd be great. It's so it's so incredible. And, you know, uh, I've done the walk twice, uh, once in uh, 2019, then uh, took a little pandemic break. And this was my first one back. And uh, both times I did it. Won a raffle basket, so uh, you know I'm feeling uh, feeling pretty good about that. That's actually where I got this T-shirt from. Uh, no way, you won our basket. Excellent. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, thank the... you for wearing that. That's cool. <laughs> so, tell me a little bit about uh, yourself growing up. Where Where are you from? Um, so I I did most of my growing up in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. I've moved around a little bit as a kid. I was originally born in Tennessee, and then my family, my dad, uh, worked for a. Um, uh, a chemical company called Monsanto. And uh, they also did textiles and other things. So he moved around a little bit. We moved uh, uh, from Tennessee to St. Louis, uh, lived there for a few years. Then we moved to um, Greenwood, South Carolina, kind of the small town in South Carolina, lived there for a, years, a few years, then moved back to St. Louis. And I did my all my teenage and twenties I, I did growing up there. And uh, then found my way into radio and eventually into uh, into the Philadelphia region and been here for this is now the longest place I've ever lived in my life. I've lived here for I think I'm in my 28th year uh, in this area. So this has become, you know, this is it. This is the ground. This is where I. this is my home. So uh, it's pretty cool. But, you know, bounce around a little bit. Uh, it's funny because like everybody, almost everybody around here is born and bred and stays here. And if we work with somebody like, say, like Casey, Delco, never going anywhere. You know, there's a whole lot of that in this region. And I'm just glad that I was um, I was welcomed in, you know, and, and have been considered part of the community for a long time now. 
It's funny you say that because, like, I spent uh, most of my teen years, like, once I get out of here, you know, the old Bruce Springsteen, once I get out, I'm never coming back. And uh, I got out, and then I went, no, I kind of liked it back there. Like, it's kind of the best place to be. So, yeah. Where'd you go? Did you get away uh, for a little bit? Not far. I went to Western PA. I was, uh, uh, like, the Indiana area. You know, far enough to uh, be distant, but uh, close enough that if I needed yeah. something, I could drive home. <laughs> Yeah, I got Pennsylvania big state. So yeah, the western side's a that's a whole other spot. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they're Steelers fans. So like it was yeah, like right. being in a strange world. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I I formed my my love for radio uh in St. Louis, uh growing up listening to a rock radio station which is actually very very similar to WMMR, a station called KSHE, KC95, and they were uh I think they're just just like a few months older than WMMRs for when they signed on. Uh, but they've since um, uh, graduated to a, uh, uh, like a classic rock format. So they're not still playing active current artists like WMMR. So I, I consider WMMR to be the oldest, longest standing rock radio station in the entire country. And it's, you know, it's an honor to be a part of the, the staff here. It really is, you know, like it's 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 such a staple that like, you know, when little little shakeups occur here and there, especially with like the corporate nature of radio uh, nowadays and stuff like that, like it it's scary. Like I, I remember when we lost WISP that like that felt like losing family, you know, and, yeah. you know, and the stations you've been at, you know, Y100, DRE. These are things that were like they were more than radio stations and they they still are like they carry on just a legacy of just like memories and just the the power and the things they broke and and mmr is like the granddaddy of them all like i i I don't i don't ever want to be in a world where that station doesn't exist yeah i think we're good for a while i hope so uh i have you mentioned i I have a couple things on my wall here i'll show you real quick if you want yeah Um, sure wdre because i i loved working at that radio station it was so much fun and i've got a little um i have a couple things up on the wall here like here's uh the city paper uh, when we when it announced that we were changing format, uh, they did that. They put us on the cover with R I P D R E. Oh my uh, god! Which I thought was uh, I'd, I'd always hang on to that. It was a really cool article uh, about the the radio station in there. And actually, I have my this is my the letter hanging on the wall there uh, when the original program director of W D R E Jim McGuinn uh, asked me to move out to Philadelphia and join the staff. So I framed that and hung that up there on the wall, which is pretty cool. And this is pretty cool. This is a mural. Somebody did. Whoa. The Preston and Steve show. And uh, yeah, we didn't have enough room at the radio station for it. So I couldn't, well, we're going to throw it away. So I brought it home and, and put it up here, but yeah, man, that was, uh, you know, you mentioned that, hang on a second here. I gotta yeah. I don't want this to die on me, but um, you mentioned the radio stations um, being um, like having this. I don't know. I I don't ever want them to go away either. I I look back so fondly at WDRE and the time I had there, AMY 100, and I really miss those places. I'm super happy where I am at WMMR and, and proud to be there. But man, it's too bad that those those stations had to go away because you know, we were we were doing some really fun things. Uh, it was a very exciting time in music, especially uh, in the mid 1990s. There was all this bubbling new. You know, I mean, grunge had already arrived, and and we were getting a a whole explosion of all these new bands, and and it was just really cool. And and we were putting on all these great festival shows and things. And I I like to I reminisce about that stuff quite a bit. It's still I hold it really really near and dear to my heart and uh, and i was right in the middle of it all which is fantastic and i love 
you know, running into people who will still say, oh, dude, I've been listening to WDRE or I listen to you guys for years on Y100. And, uh, you know, I'm really happy that they stuck with us. But I also like hearing about, you know, kind of the good old days. Yeah. Well, you know, you were kind of right in the in the heart of one of the things that fascinates me the most about radio history. And that is like the effects of the uh, 96 Telecommunication Act. Like, oh, yeah. And and, and you yeah. know, like like that to me, not just changed radio, but it changed music because, you know, we had, you know, you could break in a market and not be a national act you know you could you you, you could take a chance on people and there's you know you know uh, you mentioned Jim McGuinn you know he's back in town uh, at XPN now XPN's kind of trying to do that but you know it, it, it's such like a uh, a, a niche kind of uh group that that listens to that station now you know it's not as it's not as kind of in the uh in, in the zeitgeist as much as like you know uh dre or y100 was but it's a special place and i love it very much yeah um, and jim's jim's got the magic touch he's a, he'll that radio station will do just fine with him working over there for sure for sure. Um, but so like um, you mentioning that you were a part of um, one of my favorite episodes of a podcast I've ever heard in my life. And it was um, that reply all with the guy who had the earworm who was trying to track down. Um... <laughs> yeah. Oh, my was... God. That's right. I couldn't help him. I, I had no <laughs> idea what the song was he was talking about. And I and I love a good challenge like that. I absolutely love it. And I never found out. If he was, I don't think he ever figured out so, what song that was, did he? I think, I think, I can't remember if they re-aired it and tagged on that they finally found it. Um, but, okay. but it was a, it was one of those small market um, art artists that yeah. like just you know some station took a chance on. Yep, you could have regional acts uh, that had success in certain pockets of the country or, or certain cities, and and would just kind of stay there and, and we have great local bands you know I'm, i don't have my finger on the pulse of local music unfortunately i hear some every now and then that surface but uh especially at that time and at, at wdre there were you know bands like you know god lives underwater and and um uh man who else was around at that time trip 66 and you know these that, that started to bubble up and had some success and then Moved on. Huffamoose was another one yes and, and uh but uh i am not really in that um in that whole scene as much because i dude i don't go out anymore i'm too damn tired to go out doing mornings so uh yeah but yeah i know what you mean it's it's pretty special and and it's wild that you mentioned the tele telecommunications act of 96 because for those who don't know that's when uh radio stations were allowed to own more radio stations per market and before there used to be rules on how many you could so you couldn't get a a, a monopoly in the market and you're right. I mean, like we didn't know what was going to happen. We we had some ideas of what might take place um, and you just kind of had to guess at it. And then a few other things came along like satellite radio, uh, like podcasting. And all along, you know, there are forecasters saying, oh, it's going to be the death of terrestrial radio or, you know, oh, this is only going to strengthen our brand or so on. And, and you know, I, it's at that point, And after hearing all this stuff and then watching things play out, that I kind of stopped listening to the experts and what they had to say because there were there were you know communicators on all sides saying that 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 and you know yeah somebody got it right but I don't know which one when I'm listening to leading into it is going to get it right so when I hear things about AI and 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 all the other you know uh, branches of 
media that we have now, because there's gazillions, if you include in social media and YouTube and streaming and all that stuff, um, that definitely the, the pie is getting up, cut up into smaller pieces. Um, but you know, we're, we're still chugging along and, and, and terrestrial radio will always be my love. There's something special about it to me personally. The live nature of it is, you know, it goes out, it goes out into the air and it's gone, man. It's out there when, and when it goes, it goes and you can't reel it back. Um, you know, in, in a different way than, than say, um something that goes viral and it and it spreads out and and it echoes here and there it's just these little things this is a you got to be there for it man you got to you got to hear it live uh although we do podcasts and do these other things my focus is always on that 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 transmitter and that signal going out um and i i find it exciting you know that's why we've never recorded interviews we don't do it in our history early on we did it a few times and we found out that we lost some spontaneity when we did it. So even if we get that, like we made an exception one time because Tom Cruise was going to do um, some interviews for war of the worlds. And so we're like, okay, we'll, inter- we'll, we'll record Tom Cruise. All right, we'll do that. And it ended up being a shitty interview. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And he was, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't want to talk about what we wanted to talk about. We weren't being rude or anything like that. His, his press people just said, nah, wrap it up. And so, that just solidified, you know, why we don't want to do things recorded and, and prefer to keep the whole thing, you know, in a live nature. Yeah. And, and you know, you got to trust your instincts because your instincts have been right for, what, 25 years now? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, what? I'm not I'm not the smartest person in the world. And, and uh, uh, you know, uh, intellectually wise and 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 but I do I have made a series of really good decisions in my career. So I've learned to trust my instincts and not do anything rash, but not necessarily second guess what really uh, the gut is saying, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, how what was what was the draw for for radio for you? Like because uh, uh, we, we, we briefly talked about it. You wanted to play music just like the rest of us. Like you, yeah. you had the, the, the dream. What was the pivot for you? Yeah. So uh, I think it was I think it was a little bit of both. I think the music brought me into radio. Um around the same time so i remember when i was a little kid i was probably fourth or fifth grade and i would wake up in the morning before school and i would flip on my radio and it was just a local radio station and they would do like a call-in trivia contest thing and i was just fascinated with that i just wanted to be i wanted to get on the radio and answer those questions and win the prize and and then i started thinking about how cool that would be to be that person on the radio. And, uh, you know, I, I immediately saw them, the, the, the personalities as, as kind of celebrities. Um, and growing up, I listened to, you know, like, uh, around that same time, you know, like Casey Kasem's top 40 and things like that. And it was exciting. The program, the sounds, the music leading into it, the drama, the jingles, all this stuff just sounded really cool and fascinating to me. And when I was a Cub Scout around that same time, uh, we took a trip to that very radio station and got to see what it looked like on the inside. And, you know, I saw the microphone and the board and the, you know, the big clock on the wall in front of you and all this stuff. And I was just like, wow, this was really exciting. So that kind of planted the seed. And at the same time, even before that, I had always loved the drums. So that was just a another thing that just was bright and shiny to me. And I wanted to be able to do that. And around that same time, I had asked my parents if I could learn to play the drums and they were uh, you know, 
regretfully, uh, they bought me a drum kit at the time anyway, because it's nothing but loud noise in a, you know, in a house. Um, and those two things together, the music, uh, listening to the music on the radio, being able to play the music, being able to present the music, all these things sounded so appealing to me. And as I grew up, um, I was a fan of both of those, of, ra- of, of the people, uh, of, of the musicians that were creating music and the people on the radio that were presenting the music. I was equally fascinated by both of them. And I was a, I was a contest line, you know, a, a request line caller, regularly calling my DJs all the time, uh, trying to win contests. And as I got through high school, you know, I did learn to play drums and I got involved in music, uh, you know, in, in the organized music groups at school, band, symphonic band, orchestra, jazz band, all these things, marching band. I did all of that. But I also started jamming uh, with other musicians my age. And so I'm like, OK, rock star. That's what I want to do. I want to be a rock star. This is it. And or a studio musician or something like that. And took a little run at it or what I perceived was my run at it. In my uh, senior year in high school, I joined a band that was a working band and uh, after high school, I focused on that. Um, I, I made a run at college for about a semester. And I'm like, nah, dude, I'm done with school. <laughs> uh, and I did the band thing for a few years. And it's really hard to make money. And we were just a cover band. And we only wrote a handful of songs. And it started to dawn on me that I can't make a real living out of this. And with my mother's urging, uh, there was this um, radio trade school a broadcasting trade school in st louis it was called the broadcast center and they ran ads all the time on the radio where i was listening all the time so my mom had said hey you always thought about being on the radio how about this and i'm like man i'm done with school i don't want to do homework anymore so she nudged and nudged and i'm like fine i was like almost defiant i was like whatever okay just get you off my back i'll go to the school I'll see what it's all about. They're probably not going to accept me and so on. And I went, did this little um, audition of sorts uh, where they, you know, gave you some kind of a a random object, you know, and you had to, you had to do a little commercial about this bottle of water and how tasty it is. Um, And I I thought I did terrible. Well, apparently I did pretty well. And plus they just wanted people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was accepted, but once I got in, I started to realize that I had a pretty good knack for it. And I started getting a really good feedback from the instructors who were um, saying not only complimentary things, but also giving me some good advice on here are the steps you might want to take if you really want a career at this, because we think you're pretty good. And like my production skills were good at, you know, uh, producing commercials and things like that. Um, So I was like, okay, maybe this maybe this type of thing might work out. And then one day I was at the school and there was an ad on a bulletin board that was for an internship program. And it was a, um, a literally move away and live there for a month internship. And I'm like, well, that sounds cool. So I moved to this tiny itty bitty town in the middle of Missouri called Salem, Missouri. And it was this little AM podunk radio station in a basement. And, uh, and I worked there, Uh, just doing what interns do. Although one of the cool things was, is the nighttime shift, they let the interns do the radio programming. Um, And they let you pick the music. They let you, this is back when, you know, you had played albums and 45 CDs were just being uh, introduced. And uh, so I got to start on that stuff and that really antiquated equipment, reel to reel tape machines and stuff like that. 
Um, and I just loved it. Like I didn't want to leave. I wanted to be there all the time. And eventually the program director came to me and he goes, Hey, I've been listening to you and here's what I'd like to do. I think we're going to end this internship program and I want to hire you full time and you be our night guy and you be the music director and you come down here and work full time. I was like, wow. Okay. And I jumped on it because it was radio working, getting paid, starting a career and and then it was off after that. That's incredible. How long were you at that station for? I was there for about a year, maybe a year and a half. And I was doing things like I was doing the crop reports and the school lunches and the uh, uh, I was, you know, running the board for baseball games, St. Louis Cardinal baseball games and blues hockey. And uh, I was doing uh, fishing reports. I mean, like really small town stuff. Uh, and we did like a swap shop thing where people call in and buy and sell things. And it was a great place to learn how to just be present on the radio. And I had so much fun there. Uh, but I got uh, I started getting itchy. I'm like, OK, I can't stay here. And then after about a year and a year and a half, I started kind of uh, putting the feelers out for jobs elsewhere. And then I then I did like a market by market step up. I went from Salem, Missouri to Jefferson City, Missouri, which is the capital. It'd be like working in Harrisburg, you know, a, a mid-level sized town. Uh, but there was a college town nearby, Columbia, Missouri, University of Missouri, and it had a huge signal, the radio station that I worked at. So it covered uh, Lake of the Ozarks. Have you ever seen the show Ozark? I yeah. would there and do live appearances all the time at uh, Lake of the Ozarks. And we broadcast there. And I, I worked there for, I want to say, three years and uh, then I was at an event and I met a program director in St. Louis and we kind of hit it off and I sent him uh, some tapes of myself and he offered me a, uh, a job. And then I just started uh, working from there and I worked in St. Louis for several years. And I was doing top 40 radio. That's that's when my name was Kenny Knight, uh, which they give me shit about every now and then on the radio. Rightly so. because It's a stupid freaking name. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and then, so how I, how I ended up in Philadelphia, which I'm sure is the natural progression of this conversation, uh, was Jim McGuinn, who now programs at, uh, WXPN, um, was, came into town and it's right when alternative rock hit. He came in probably a few years into it, 93, somewhere around there. So Nirvana had already hit, things were exploding An alternative rock station radio signed on in St. Louis and it was an instant hit and it sounded great. It sounded like nothing I'd ever heard before. And I was like, man, I'm like, that's the kind of radio I want to do. I don't want to do this screaming and yelling top 40 pukey stuff that I was doing. And so since I was the music director of the radio station, that meant that I would go to events that record companies were having. And I met other program directors and other people in the industry. And so I met Jim on a few occasions and we were, you know, we hit it off. It was really, uh, you know, uh, I had respect for him and, and uh, you know, he's a radio guy. So he loved talking about the business. And uh, and then he, I found out he played golf and I play golf too. And we, we went out and we played golf a couple of times. And a couple of years into that, he got the offer to come to Philadelphia to program WDRE. And so I just blew in a call to him because we were mainly acquaintances. We weren't really, really good friends. And I just said, hey, we, I, congratulations. You know, you're moving up and, and from a, you know, uh, a large market to a major market. And I said, congratulations. I'm glad you're leaving town because you're an awesome program director and I don't want you to be my competition anymore. And I just left the message for him. And like, he called me back either later that day or the next day. He was like, Hey, he goes, um, 
that was really cool of you to do. He goes, you didn't need to do that. And I really, really appreciate it. And he goes, listen, I have to fill an air staff in Philadelphia. And I'm curious if you'd be interested in that. I'm like, I'm like hiding my excitement. I'm like, fuck yes. <laughs> and he, uh, he said, well, do me a favor, go in and kind of put together a, sh- the type of show that you would do on the type of radio station that I would program an alt rock station. I was like, okay, I have to completely change my tone. Cause I was like, you know, like two, one Oh, six point five. Is that like, that was my delivery, you know? And so I reel it way back and I gave him a little bit more of me who I really am. Uh, and, uh, and he's like, that's it. You're it. He's like, I want you to do afternoons. I want you to be my music director. Like done, man. And the only complication was, is my now wife and I, had only been dating for about three months. Oh, and, no. yeah. And so I get this chance, a career opportunity to move halfway across the country. And I'm like, oh, man. And we were, you know, we were still new. The relationship was still new. And um, I was like, you want to move to Philadelphia with me? And she said, yes. I thought for sure I was going to get a no. And uh, and then it went on from there. It was pretty wild. That's incredible. You know, it's funny because obviously it worked out. But when you said that, like, I was just like, oh, no. Like, did she get like. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I was shocked when she said yes. Absolutely. I just thought I was I was kind of throwing it out there. I'm like, there's no way. But it would be stupid for me to not at least say, hi, how would you like to come along for a ride? Because I was going to do it. Uh, and, you know, uh, we we were the relationship was new and I had that new relationship love, but I didn't know if it was going to be the love of my life love or not. Um, ended up that's the case. She's the greatest person ever. Uh, but it was it was really a leap of faith. And she's the one that took the biggest jump. So it turned out to be great. That's incredible. That's incredible. So so you come here uh, to DRE and uh, uh, get uh, somehow get partnered with Marilyn Russell, who uh, I have to give a shout out to um, the very first person when I launched this uh, podcast, the very first person I heard from um, of anybody who was not a friend or a family was Marilyn Russell. And I got a blind email from her that was just like, your podcast has the greatest name ever. And it meant Aww. the world to me. It meant the absolute absolute world to me and and we were talking about her coming on the show and then she was like ah, i'm not going to be able to do it because something came up and uh i didn't realize the something that came up was a uh, brain surgery uh which oh. was which was yeah. uh, so we're, we we've talked about you know setting something up but uh uh, uh uh much love to her like that just that put a oh. battery in my back you know like it was just like oh my god not only are people listening but somebody i grew up listening to is listening to <laughs> like that's phenomenal I love Marilyn. She's she's an important person in my life. We we uh we're we're good buds. We 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 only communicate uh via text every now and then and I'm way overdue to 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 spend some time with her cuz I I love her to death and we had you know it was it was her and and Steve and I that we had so much fun the three of us. It it was a blast. Marilyn was was wild and it was when she left the show we were like what are we going to do, man? You know, I mean, she was a big part of it. Um, but we understood why she wanted to leave. She, her son was growing up. I think Matthew was about, I don't know, nine, 10 years old, something like that. And she was just felt like she was missing out on too much of his life being gone in the morning, you know, wanting to, to get him off to school or being there in the summertime. So we got it. And it was a really, we had a going away party for her and everything, but, uh, yeah, Marilyn was a blast, man. Love her. 
That's incredible. You know, that actually uh, brings up something I wanted to ask about, which was, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the static has been, you know, you and, and Steve on the show. But um, there has been, you know, changes throughout the years, Marilyn leaving and then, you know, the jump from Y100 to MMR and stuff like yeah. that. Um, would you ever have imagined um, coming across like those kind of struggles or those kind of changes that you would still be here doing it oh. together in the, in in almost similar fashion yeah no no and i i listen man it was year to year especially when we started where i was like i don't know how i have no idea how this is going to go i had never in my wildest dreams that i think that we would hit the number one spot and hold that number one spot for you know well over a decade now i think it's like 18 years we've been in the number one spot um and you know, yeah, you don't foresee, you know, lineup changes or or management changes or radio station changes. And those things are huge bumps in the road. And you don't know if you're going to survive those or not. Um, so I, I try not to think that too much in advance. So it was never in my mind other than let's just try and do another great show. And then, um, you know, there are things that you have to do, like negotiate contracts and stuff like that. And that comes up and, and it would always be... Um, we used to we used to negotiate yearly on that and like you know about four months out we would have to start thinking about it and steve and i hate that type of thing we, we can't stand um uh, the whole you know back and forth nature of trying to figure out um what you're going to get paid or are you going to get a raise or are you even still going to be working here um so we always dreaded looking forward to that so once we started getting some success and landing in 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 the in the top spot uh, you know, the contracts became longer and we didn't have to worry about it as much. But I had always had in the back of my mind before we had hit um, the number one mark, I was like, man, if we could just get I, I said, if we could get in the top five or if we could get to number one. No, it wasn't the top five. If we could get to number one and stay there for like five years, I'm like, that should be able to solidify a career in Philadelphia. That should be enough wait to where our names will always be marketable and usable and valuable to a radio station because i was always thinking about well what if they let us go then we need to go somewhere else and will someone else hire us in philadelphia or do we have to do the thing where you pick up all your shit and you loop move to another place in the country and then you got to start from scratch convincing an audience to listen to you but you know now that we've been where we are for as long as we have uh, I don't. I don't really concern myself with that too much anymore. I mean, listen, the landscape is always changing, and anything can happen. But I feel pretty confident at this point. Uh, but it used to really, um, it used to be, you know, in the gut all the time, deep down, like oh, you know, kind of gnawing at you a little bit. And, and hopefully, hopefully, we continue to do well. But one of the saving graces of of connecting with Philadelphia is that this city and the suburbs the surrounding areas are fiercely loyal to things that they like um and it's not lost on us it's it's phenomenal and you know once we started to realize after a number of years like uh and i remember the first few times it happened we're like man i got an email from a guy who's like 25 and he's been listening to us since he was like eight years old and i'm like oh my god I mean, we've, we've been they've grown up with us you know and it it, it at some point that dawned on us and we're like man and we started hearing more and more stories like that and we're like looking at each other going yeah we have been around for a long time haven't we and so um with that with that loyalty that this uh that this region has uh 
you know, clearly demonstrated, uh, we feel honored that we're in that club of, of things that people um, feel are uh, synonymous with the community, uh, synonymous with the city and the, and the whole region. So it, it's pretty awesome. I love it. Yeah. You know, I said about MMR being a staple, uh, you, you know, I'm of an age where you guys are equally as much of a staple as the station, as much as Pierre, you know, just in general, you guys yourselves, like I know people who would probably murder for you, you know, <laughs> or at least, or at least help you hide the body, you know, but, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna. It's always good to know people on both sides of the law, that's, you know. That's right, that's right. But um, but I think a I think a good portion of that is not just uh, you. You guys have not just been radio performers doing a show, but you've you've invested in the community and you've given back to the community. I mean, camp out for hunger and you know the the blood drive and stuff like that. Like you you guys you get it like it, I, I always say like whenever i see people like a like a sports figure or something like that come into town and they just kind of you know end up on the wrong side of the fans i'm like it's so easy all you have to do is not be a douche and yeah. and act like you like it here you know like <laughs> we, yeah. uh, but 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 if you go beyond that and you give in the community and you kind of establish yourself as a staple like we'll follow you anywhere well, we, you know what we, well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. But we, uh, we early on realized that, that if, if you have an audience, um, and you're entertaining that audience, you should also see what you can do to, um, to make things better. If you, if you have the ears of people and, and they, uh, and they trust you. So we not only did the, the collective things like the camp out for hunger and the blood drive, uh, but we all have our individual causes, uh, you know, Steve with the max fund and, and, uh, um, uh, animal shelters and uh, Casey with the Headstrong Foundation and, and the cancer bike run that he does and uh, Nick with the uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and and I do the Crohn's and Colitis and the Laurel House and uh, Kathy and Marissa have their uh, causes that they they promote as well so we've got a we've got some collective things and some separate things and we all uh, support each other in those too but you're right man you know if you just um yeah, it's it's not a big uh, secret how you can um, connect in in the area. It, you know, if if you can if you can entertain, whether that be you know uh, via the radio, television, or sports, or whatever it may be, or music, um, as long as you're not being an asshole, uh, you can you can make a nice uh, following or, or fan base or whatever you want to call it here. Um, and like I said, there is just the loyalty is it's awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, 2021, you guys get inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. Like, we, I, I, clearly no one ever imagines, well, I'm going to do this and, and be in the Hall of Fame. But, like, that's just so phenomenal, like, of an achievement. Like, how, how I, I can't even begin to understand how you reconcile being like, yeah, I mean, I'm a Hall of Famer. But what? A, yeah, what a, I mean, no big like, deal. a couple of years before that, we, we got into the uh, uh, Pennsylvania Broadcasters Association Hall of Fame. And I was like, Oh, that's it. You know, I mean, that's yes. Uh, and I was so excited. It was a great event they had. And, uh, Larry Kane hosted it and all these radio legends were there. And, and, uh, and, uh, I, I thought, well, okay, that's, that's good enough for me. We have been nominated for the NAB, which is the national association of broadcasters award. We've never won that. That's another, that's an Oscar like achievement in our, in our industry, but no, the national radio hall of fame. No. I mean, like, you know, that's um, that's Paul Harvey and Howard Stern and, and uh, you know, and all the, the, the biggest of the bigs that have ever uh, been in this business are, are in that. And, uh, 
yeah, when that came calling, we were like, okay. And what was, I was really proud of that because it it's, it's an industry uh, acknowledgement. Uh, and I really, a long time ago in my career, I stopped paying attention um, to what the, I, I used to really read all the industry trades and, and, and magazines and things like that because I just, I had, I had this desire to be one of those big names in there. And at some point I'm like, well, that's just never going to happen to me. I should just focus on doing my job, you know, making my paycheck, supporting my family and doing that. Um, and so that kind of stuff that went to the wayside and I, and I, and I put it over there and never really paid attention to it. And then all of a sudden we were presented with this and I'm like, I'm like, people in the, in this industry know who we are. What are you serious? And yeah, so we were blown away that that came out of out of left field. It's still not quite thoroughly real to me. And I don't know if uh, if I feel that I really belong there. I'm so proud of our team and that we are in there. Uh, but I mean, uh, I was just I don't know. I can I, I don't consider us up with that pantheon of uh, of radio personalities, but uh, I, I am happy to be in there and say thank you and. Uh, but I would never be one like, well, yeah, well, it's about time that, you know, we got in there. Um, but uh, no, I mean, because I just uh, a lot of what I do, uh, we, we're very uh, we work really hard and we prepare really hard. But a lot of it is just kind of winging it and and doing what we find entertaining. Um, and I just think that kind of what we find entertaining. So do a lot of other people. And it just happens to be that way. And so which is great because it's it's a genuine form of what we do. You know, Steve and I are just being us uh the the entire crew everybody is all uh steve puts it he's got an interesting way he's like we're us bumped up by about 10 percent. just you know we just edge it up just a tiny bit and augment our personalities just a little bit but for the most part you're getting who we are you know that's it yeah and, I, otherwise faking it is that's too hard doing that all the time is too hard yeah i always say that uh uh behind the mic and on stage i am my true i am my true self who just pretends that he believes in himself and that's really <laughs> that's yeah, you know like I that's it. it you know i, I totally I just, get it man listen when i grab a microphone if i'm in front of a crowd of you know 10,000 people or more i just go do it i just go grab the microphone i forget about being nervous but if you were to put me in a room of like 10 people that I know are really important and that I need to speak to them and they're all listening to me, I'm terrified, man. You know, but there's something about that. There's something of, uh, about a protection of a large crowd. I don't know what it is. And a microphone, which has always been um, I, I found that that part of my love of uh, of what I do literally comes from the microphone itself, uh, because you know, uh, as a kid, I would play around with um, tape recorders and things like that. And and once I heard my voice amplified, um, there was some power to it. And by that, I don't mean like I can tell people what to do, you know, not that type of thing. But there's a um, it made me bigger. It made me uh, more confident. It made me uh, feel. Uh, did you watch Ted Lasso? Yeah. OK. When Rebecca would say she would. <laughs> make herself large like this, you know, to, to make her confidence. That's what a microphone does for me. And um, so all of that is, is part of the the love for, for what we do. And, and yeah, and, and it helps me be who I am, but a little bit more confident and, and, um, and projecting a little bit more. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you guys have talked to 50 million people um, of all walks of the earth, you know, celebrities and regular people and stuff like that. And uh, uh, like, it, who who is still out there that, that you guys haven't gotten that, that you would, you know, kill to, to chat with on the show? Um. Well, there's a lot of people. Uh, man. We, I, because I reflect so often on, you know, people ask a lot of times who are, who are your favorite interviews. So I usually go to those. But I mean, I've already spoken to me personally to the biggest person on my list, period, uh, which is Paul McCartney. I had a chance to actually sit down with him in a room and have like a 15 minute conversation. And it was unbelievable. So I already have hit that. Uh, in fact, hang on here. Here's my uh, uh, there's the autograph that he oh heck yeah to me. yeah it says to ken back when i was kenny knight <laughs> one of the biggest mistakes in my career was having that, that makes it even better it really does <laughs> all right but um you know uh i mean there's people there's legends like like clint eastwood or or, or steven spielberg or um you know jimmy page or uh, you know, just some of these, the pantheon of, of what they do, of, of music, of television, of, of, uh, of movies. Um, um, so, you know, that I, that's a good question, Nate. I'm not really sure if, yeah. if I were to sit down and make a wish list, I'm sure I could come up with it, but, but just the, just the, the tops. I mean, like I, I, it, it would have to be in those fields though. Like I wouldn't feel comfortable, all that comfortable talking to like a head of state, um uh in, in you know in the theater of politics and and things like that but um yeah there's uh and and we will pretty much talk to like you said anybody you know tom hanks is one uh we we've had the opera we, we we came like this close a couple of times and it just didn't up, end up happening uh but he's somebody who i would just love to be able to sit down and have a lengthy conversation with uh because like we we sat down with uh john travolta and that was one of the most wonderful interviews I've ever been a part of because he was a lovely man. He was awesome. He he really was very appreciative of our interview and even told us that. And, and I had asked him the question, I go, I go, you know, you know what you do to people when you meet them. Right. And, and he's like, yeah, he's like, I get it. I get it. He's like, because I'm a fan too. You know, I've, I've, when I meet people that I'm a fan of, I'm that way. So when you are that way to me, I get it. You know, I get that you want to get a picture with me or just have your moment that, that you're going to tell your family members or the people for the rest of your lives that you spent time with me because you're such a fan and it's not lost on me. Um, so I like hearing that, that some celebs are, are in that, uh, uh, in that fanboy vein too. Uh, so yeah, there's a bunch of them, but I, uh, that that's just a handful of names. For yeah, you. you know it's funny when I when I started this, I had um uh, uh, three stretch goals of people that I wanted on the podcast, and I and I kept them reasonable. I wasn't you know like you said, I wasn't trying to you know shoot for the moon or anything like that. But I was like uh, uh, John Oates because I'm from North Wales, so I just always wanted to talk to him about the hometown. It's not even about the music, which yeah. I would love to talk to him about because I'm an enormous fan. But like, just wanted to talk about the the hometown. Um, Quest Love, who I used to have. Um, uh, 
passing uh, a passing acquaintance with, um, but just because I want to commit, uh, I want to be one more person to commit how brilliant he is and just how knowledgeable he is about music. And the the third one was uh, G Love, who not only came on the show last year, but we've become like passing friends. So like, so I I I like to ask who other people's kind of guys are that they're looking for because I'm like, hey man, let's let's put the energy out there to make these things happen you know what i mean right right i mean i really wish i would have had a, uh or maybe or maybe not to meet um you know a couple of my drum heroes neil peart is is my uh, you know this by the way that's an autographed drum head from neil that uh a guy that worked on the tour got me and it's, it's you know personalized and everything it's really really cool but obviously he passed and that that's too bad but he's also was a kind of a difficult interview it's hard it that that's a, that is one of the things though and nate not and you may not have had it yet but somebody you really look forward to speaking to and you speak to them and you have a negative experience it can kind of kill it for you uh so you know I, i'd rather not I'd, I'd rather just be a fan than than try to then have an uncomfortable experience with somebody who I really look up to. Definitely, and um, it I, I won't name names, but it's it it's happened. Uh, you okay. know, it's, yeah. happens no, to all interviewers. Man. That's right. Um, but uh, don't think I didn't notice the moving pictures uh, behind your head. No. That was that was uh, I was keyed on it. I was a I was an enormous uh, was am an enormous Rush fan, and uh, one of my greatest concert experiences of all time was uh, we had uh, third row seats for um, the Rush at the Spectrum for the Counterparts tour, and oh, um, nice. and uh, I don't know that. Uh, I, I think it ruined me for concerts for like the rest of my like for decades just because of just how incredible of a show it was. Nice. Yeah. And being that close. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually uh, almost hit Alex with my hat um, because I wanted to get them my business card and I tuck it, oh. tucked it in my hat and I went to throw it on stage and he's in the middle of the solo in limelight and it almost hit him in the oh. face. And I just wanted to go home. Like I was like, OK, I'm, I'm I can't, I got to go home. Like, but at least you didn't hit him in the face. That's good. Exactly. Exactly. Nor did I have a cell phone to throw, which is now a thing that people do. That's and I thing. don't get it. I don't get it. Thing. Well, at this time, do you want to go through my little questionnaire that I end every uh, yeah, interview with? Um, absolutely. It, it, I call it the jauntlet. It's two sections, one hit wonders in the top 10 countdown. It starts with the one hit wonders. Uh, Billy Joel or Elton John, who do you prefer? I, man, I have love for both of those guys. Uh, and it's like, it's like right here. If I had to nudge and pick one, I'm going with Elton John. Um one of the reasons is I realized a few years ago, I, I was just like trying to, I was singing music that's, that's really special to me. And I was trying to pinpoint people always ask me, I'm, I'm a massive Beatles fan. And they'll ask, what's your favorite Beatles song? And I'm like, I don't have a favorite Beatles song. It changes from, you know, week to week, month to month. I, I could gravitate towards an earlier, more innocent Beatles tune to the more complex later part of their career. And so I just can't pick that. But I did realize that there is one song in all of music that brings me nothing but happy memories. Um, and it's Benny and the Jets. Oh, it's and a good one. It's such a it's such a beautiful song. And it, it makes me think of summertime when I was a little kid, when that song was on the radio popular and fairly new. You know, I was probably, I don't know, first, second grade or whatever. And I just have fond memories of, of the adventures of that age and that and being that kid in that time and that song being on the radio all the time and i've never ever gotten tired of it uh, tired of it and my daughter loves that song oh, so great. we sing it together 
out loud cranked up and I still just sing along with that every time I hear it. So I got to go Elton. That's beautiful. And and what a great recharge, like with the daughter loving it like that. That's like, oh, now there's new memories. It, like it's, it's still growing. It can still still gaining momentum. Uh, yep. Next one, Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? Um, Debbie Harry's a little cooler. Uh, yeah. I, I, I like Joan Jett, obviously, and she did a lot of great things for, for music. But um, Blondie had that weird, edgy different edgy like i actually that's the right way to say it weird edgy uh alt edgy whatever that is and i just thought she had a a cooler style about her i like it aretha franklin or tina turner uh man you can't beat aretha you just queen of soul for a reason and i i thought tina was an awesome performer had the some of the sexiest legs i've ever seen in my life but you listen to Aretha Franklin uh, and what she could do. And even she was kind of holding back sometimes. It was just, you get, you get a, like a, you, when you play funk music, you make this stank face like this. That's what I do when I hear Aretha sing. You're just like, oh man. And a, and a song that will make me cry because of the tenderness of her voice uh, is Natural Woman. It's just, oh, I hear God, it yeah. and I immediately... Oh, it just gets me. I get goosebumps and I can actually tear up from hearing that song. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? I side with Pearl Jam. And I don't doubt the fact that Nirvana broke down the door, kicked down the door, shattered the door, destroyed it. Uh, But there was something about the sound of Pearl Jam and... uh, their guitar solos are in there and they're a little more bluesy and, and, uh, uh, and, and even though both bands were very, very moody and very, very, mm, you know, this, uh, I got a bit more of a charge out of a uh, Pearl Jam. Definitely. And I 100% agree with you. Like there's just something like, uh, magical to me about um those guys together um especially yeah. on stage which uh was another one of my favorite concert experiences was closing out the spectrum like the, the spectrum was just the best place in the world oh, and yeah. i will uh, any chance i and get to and, and i like you know even though nirvana had some ballads their their ballads like pearl jam's ballads i got um were not as uncomfortable uh as as nirvana's uh were i think so uh you know but it's close but I, but I, I was definitely a pearl jam guy yeah uncomfortable is actually a really good way to put that like yeah i know exactly what you mean you know? exactly yeah. uh janice joplin or stevie nicks janice joplin well man i go back and forth on this one uh janice had power in her voice uh that's one of the things i appreciate uh, appreciated about her um you know, take another piece of my, a little piece of my heart is just explosive. Absolutely. You know, another one of those, whoa, stank face things. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think I go with her and I, and I love Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac, but, uh, there was something a little more ballsy about, uh, Janice that I liked. I love it. Uh, I think I know the answer to this one. I'm pretty sure Beatles are the stones. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a diehard Beatles guy. Um, stones are cool. Uh, but I, I never thought they had the depth that the Beatles did, uh, you know, as far as experimental, taking some chances. Not that the Stones didn't take chances, uh, but the Beatles tinkered around a lot. And uh, you had, you know, genius songwriters uh, who were um, who were really 
pushing the boundaries and experimenting with all kinds of sounds. And, and, you know, while the, uh, the stones mainly uh, flirted in that blues realm, uh, the Beatles did some of that, but they also went down a classical route and some of a, a little bit lightly country route and, and, uh, uh, and then sounds uh, in directions psychedelia that we had never heard before. So I just, uh, I was a fan from day one, you know, since I was a kid, I can, all I can remember is being a fan of the Beatles. I dig it. Uh, the, the last one of these Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven? Bohemian. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of shocked. I, kind of I, thought... I don't need to hear Stairway to Heaven well. anymore. That's definitely uh, yeah. true. Well, I don't know because uh, I'll tell you what, um, and and I'll send it to you after this, and I'll uh, probably cut this out because that kind of sounds illegal. But I have. Um, have you ever heard the Bonzo's Last Stand bootleg? It was no. a rehearsal recording um, in 1980, uh, recorded right before um, John Bonham passed away, um, and it was their rehearsal for the tour. And there's a version of Stairway to Heaven on it that's absolutely stellar. Um, okay, um, but I'll send you a link to it tonight. <laughs> it's a great song, but uh, you know, and, and people are going to kill me for this, but I've never been a big Zeppelin fan. I don't dislike Zeppelin, but I was not a dive deep, all praise Zeppelin kind of guy. Uh, there are some songs that that are hit songs, and I don't even know the title of them. It's yeah, pretty sad. But yeah, uh, but Bohemian Rhapsody, I'll never get tired of that song. Definitely. Uh, you know what? I'm going to tack a special um, uh, uh, one on here just for you. And that what? is, and I know this is a Sophie's choice. I know it's going to be very hard to pick, I think. Or maybe not. It might be easy for you. But DRE or Y100? Ooh. <laughs> spent a, I only spent one year at WDRA before it was sold. And I spent seven years at Y100. Um but there was something special about that little radio station in Jenkintown, WDRE. It was a piece of shit. The studios were horrible. Um, but we were this kind of ragtag group of people that just did whatever we wanted to do. And we had a great leader that that made sure that we stayed on track. And even though what we were doing was what we wanted to do, we did it in the right way. Um, that was a special place. So I think I'd pick DRE. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right on, right on. Uh, me too. Um, <laughs> that was like it was and musically. We were a little edgier too. Yeah, that know? was what it was. Like uh, I, I always like to to say that uh, Y one hundred felt like the Diet Coke of DRE. Yeah, um, which is you know I still like it, but it's just not you know I can tell there's artificial sweetener in here. <laughs> I yeah I I have some I have a, a DRE playlist that I put together and I'll pop it on every now and then and listen to it and you know hear bands like you know stabbing westward and yes everything from that and, and tori amos and space and all these one-hit wonders that were just had these weird song mike flowers um you know i'm just rolling this stuff off the top of my head but you know paul or uh, not paul harvey pj harvey and yes there were a lot there were a lot of great female artists at that time uh like the breeders and um uh, Juliana Hatfield and it was a cool time, man. Luscious Jackson. There's some cool stuff. Yeah. And I, and I, I know it's just because everybody loves what they loved when they were, you know, around a certain age, but um, music just was not the same as it was back then. Like it's it just, will never be like, that's just such a magical time to me because of just how eclectic everything was like, you know, you, you know, and you could see like those crazy bands on the same bill, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, that yeah. you would never oh, expect. Man. DRE Fest, we had like 30 bands. It was stupid. It was great. That, you know why? Because they, they would pay, they would play for 10 bucks. You yeah. Know I mean, they were, they were trying to make their way so we could have all this band. Now the bands that we try to have at MMR, 
Oh, they charge a ridiculous amount of money. It's hard to do. It's hard to I kill. don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Uh, the last half of this, the top 10 countdown, um, of course, you know this, but we use John to be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be music. Uh, number one, what was your first John? What was the first thing you were obsessed with when you were younger? I think it's probably drums. I, yeah. I think that was that was the first thing that really, uh, because it goes back as far as like pre-K, I wanted to be a drummer. I, and my mom bought me that little paper drum set that you get for little kids. And and then it just kept going and going. And it has been a consistent part of my life. I mean, I play on my kid over here almost every day. And I'm still trying to be a better drummer along the way. So it's it's something I've never given up on. So that's my first John. I love it. Uh, number two, what's your current John? What are you into right now? Current John and and has been for a while as well, but not as long as drums is playing golf. It's I, I, there's almost nothing I'd rather do. Uh, the unfortunate thing is you got to have a good five, six hours to set aside in order to put in a full round of golf. But if I'm not playing golf, I'm practicing. I'm at the driving range. I'm in my backyard hitting balls. Uh, I'm watching videos on YouTube about you know, people who are in the industry or improving my game. It's just something I love to do. Um, that actually, uh, uh, the spinoff question based on that, um, I heard rumor that um, you've played uh, disc golf. Is is this? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I played that last year for the first time at uh, uh, Cape May County Zoo. And uh, holy shit, that's hard, man. Yeah, man. That's, that's play? What I do play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not great at all. And I've been playing for a long time. Like. <laughs> It looks easy. It does. It, it looks easy. And I'm not talking about just hitting the target. The target, hitting the target, I always thought that'd be harder than it looks. But just getting the disc to go the distance and the direction you want it to go in, and especially if you get a course that's got a lot of trees, it is hard, man. But it, it was a lot of fun. Incredibly hard. You know who plays is uh, uh, we have a mutual friend in uh, here in uh, Andy King. And I knew you were going to say Andy King. He's, he's, <laughs> huge former member of the hooters yeah and uh, and that's uh like i think he might have sponsors and stuff like that like he's way deep into it he is 100 percent into it yeah um we he was a guest on this show um but um mostly because we know each other through disc golf and and less okay. about the hooters but, nice. <laughs> but uh, yes uh number three what was your first concert what was the first live show you saw um, so I have two answers to that. First live show that I saw was this uh, thing that was called um, Beatlemania. And it was in, uh, I think I saw that in 1979. And it, it was essentially a Beatles tribute thing. It was before there were quote unquote tribute bands around and they were an act and they would change their clothes based on what era of the Beatles that they were presenting at that time. So they started off as the mop tops and, you know, then it went on to the, you know, the 1960, uh, 66 version of the Beatles and then the later psychedelic version. Um, and that's the first time I have sat next to someone smoking weed. Uh, <laughs> my mom was right next to me and I think I was in fifth grade. Uh, but that was, that was the first live concert I ever went to. Now, first rock concert I ever went to the first real, what I would call my concert experience where, you know, I, I wasn't with one of my parents or anything. Uh, that was rush. And uh, it was the signals tour, which I still have. This is the program. No way. Yeah. That's right amazing. Here. I've held on to that. So that was from my first ever concert. So that's awesome. That is so cool. Uh, number four, what was the last concert you went to? Um, I you know what, Nate, I really don't go to concerts anymore. Uh, part of the reason is, well, part of it is um, I get up at 345 in the morning to go to work. 
Uh, the other part of it is uh, playing drums, being in bands, going to concerts, using headphones for a living. I've really damaged my my hearing. So I have tinnitus and I have hearing loss. And so I very rarely go. I will have to pick and choose what shows I want to go to. Um, the last show concert that I attended uh, was uh, Jeff Lynn, ELO, when ELO came here. Uh, they played uh, the Wells Fargo Center. It was fucking awesome man you just hit after hit after hit after hit and they sounded phenomenal so that was a great time but i am going to some upcoming shows uh my youngest like i said is you know loves elton john but has gotten into some 80s bands and i'm loving it so we're gonna go see duran duran and heck yeah yeah right heck yeah so i'm stoked about that and she also loves and and recently I, i um I got her tickets to uh, to see Tears for Fears in Atlantic City, and she was just loved it, love, 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 loved it. So, you know, I, I my my daughter has great musical taste, um, and we've connected on some of the music that I love too. So it's been wonderful. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, number five, what has been your favorite concert you ever saw? You know what? I got to put it with. Probably the U2 Joshua Tree Tour in 1987, because um, for the longest time, that was, I thought that was the best concert I had ever seen. It's it's number two on my list uh, now, because I, when the Eagles got back together and did the Hell Freezes Over Tour, they sounded so picture perfect, and nobody had seen that band play live for so long that I was like, this is this is another level. This is incredible. But uh, but I think that, that Joshua Tree show was my favorite concert of all time uh, or was uh, my um favorite what, what was the question again was it was yeah, my favorite yeah, favorite concert, concert. Yeah, favorite yeah. concert. not yeah. my number one concert but i know it's weird that there's a difference between no the two. i 100 know what you mean yeah but it was my favorite because i really liked you two a lot uh i thought they were a great band but when i left that show i'm like this could be one of the greatest bands of all time like i like it it made me go these guys are so much better than I ever thought they were. And I was just, uh, I, I left stunned. I left absolutely stunned after that show. So that's that's probably my favorite show of all time because of not only the musical performance, but how it made me feel afterwards and turned me into a, I am never going to miss this band when they come to town kind of guy about them. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to throw a little side note in here um, uh, that that uh, only you can answer. Do you have a favorite Sonic session? Mm. Oh, wow. Boy, there were some good ones. You know, uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to say this because I'm going to do this for my man, Casey Boy. I, I don't like fish. I, I, I don't, I don't really, I'm not into the band at all. And I, I appreciate their talent. You know, they're, they're incredible musicians, but those, the songs they write really don't speak to me. But they have one album, and it's called Farmhouse. Farmhouse. That album is great. I love every song on that album. And they did a Sonic session for that album, and they were outstanding. So I think that was probably my favorite Sonic session. I love it. it uh, they did uh, Heavy Things in that session, didn't they? Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, that was uh... Heavy Things, and, the, uh, and they did... Uh, um, Got a Jaboo and uh, First Tube, First Tube and, yeah. and, uh, and Farmhouse, I think they might have done as well. Yeah, they did some really cool songs. 
That's awesome. Do um ha- has it finally stopped um people asking you if you can get them Sonic Session CDs or do people still ask you for them? I no, nah, I don't get it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, kind of, it's kind of faded. I I have a collection of them around here somewhere, and I and I need to digitize those. I need to I need to get those uh, put into because uh, they're they're great to go back and listen to. There's some really cool things. I mean, we had. Uh, you know, garbage did one and, and, uh, the black crows, that was a really good one. Dave Matthews did one. I wasn't at that one. Unfortunately I had something going on that day. Um, uh, but we had, a, we had a whole string of great bands that did those things. Uh, yeah. Did REM do one? I think, uh, cause I know, um, the artwork was done by, um, uh, Michael Stipe at one point, but incubus and there's tons of great bands. Yeah. Yeah, that was a beautiful thing in this town when when yeah. when that was. Uh, I worked for Sam Goody, so like uh, selling Sonic sessions and people asking for them, you know, years after they were sold out, um, is something that is almost like a traumatic experience for me, <laughs> <laughs> especially at Christmas time. Uh, number six, who have you never seen live uh, that you wish you would have? They can be living or dead. Maybe John Lennon. You know, I mean, I mean, if we're gonna aim really high, I was only thinking about people who are still living. Uh, but yeah, well, I, I would love to have seen, to be able to say that I saw him or the Beatles. Uh, I have this Beatles jacket that it's, it's got the big logo on the back of it. It's black and white jacket. And a woman, an older woman came up to me and she's like, I love your jacket. And she goes, I got to see them, by the way. And I was like, oh, wow. I'm like to be able to say that must have been incredible. That's I just heard um, that the Beatles were Eric Bazilian's first concert. And I'm like, how do you come back from that? Like, yeah, <laughs> right. Like. I'm going to ask oh. him about that next time I see him. Yeah. Yeah. I uh he might be coming on the show and I'm I'm really excited to ask him that question just so I can yeah. really just spend an hour going and then what did they do? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh number 7, name an unappreciated John, something you wish people paid more attention to. I wish people paid more attention to what a piece of shit social media is. <laughs> <laughs> so true. For lack of a better term. I uh, almost feel I like people are, are picking up on it now, like with, with the splintering of Twitter and all of these other social po- and threads popping up and stuff like that. I think people are finally starting to understand that like, oh, you know what? Maybe this all sucks. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've taken a real break from it. It, it, uh, it's a, and it's a mental health thing. I, like I, 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 the negativity shines too much for me and there's a lot of great that's there too but there's there's as much bullshit that it seems like to me that is not it's it's not worth getting my head into that space and and listen i know for marketing and doing business and and things like that it is a necessary tool nowadays but i just can't tear myself away from the real downside of it so i i kind of wish people would would kind of reel back on that a little bit you know? Yeah, I you know uh, we do, it, it's like um, it's like that Mel Gibson movie uh, What Women Want, where you can hear what are on, is on someone's thoughts all the time. That's what I feel like social media is, and yeah. I want to go back to when I had to guess. <laughs> yeah, it's there's something kind of nice about that. Um, you know, I, I I've 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 pulled back on uh, on on you know spending a whole bunch of time to prepare this series of photos and get them ready to present them and make sure they're just right and have the proper words there ready to go and here's my presentation and boom let me send it out there and then obsessing over the things that come back about it as far as comments or likes or whatever I'm like I, I it doesn't it's it's not good for me you know? sure yeah I I know it well. 
Uh, number eight, what's your favorite album? Um, wow. Um, okay. I thought about this and I could say Joshua Tree because it's a, it's, there, there are a few albums that I consider to be perfect albums, like, like beginning to end. There's not one stinker in the lot. That's one of them. Uh, Synchronicity from the police is one, although mother is kind of a shitty song, but it's kind of got a character to it. Uh, and so is, um, uh, well, I've got a number of them. So I'm going to tell you one that is my favorite album, uh, because me and a few friends, used to just sit and listen to it all the time uh, in my buddy Danny's uh, bedroom. And I just, the songs give me great memories uh, is um, uh, Fair Warning from Van Halen. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, it's just cool songs all the way through that album, man. So I'd put that up there as probably my favorite because of the way it makes me feel when I listen to it. Uh, did, did you have any issues reconciling when you guys were up against David Lee Roth? Um, the, the, you know, like, uh, when he, when he took over for Stern for a minute, yeah, I, I just, I was like, okay, <laughs> what the fuck are they thinking, man? Cause yeah, I know he's a big name, but he's too damn hard to follow and listen to for five minutes, much less for five hours, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, that was, a, that was, that was a strange moment. It was an experiment, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, number nine, name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they release. Does that have to be a current artist? No, no not at all. Uh, probably the Beatles. I mean, it's it's finite. It's all that there is. You know, there's only but but I, I every single album and every single song, I, I'll listen to all of it. Uh, there's, you know, and there's some weird, bizarre songs along the way, like one or two, like Revolution Number Nine and Wild Honey Pie and stuff like that that are a bit odd and maybe you don't want to listen to. But I, I do their their entire catalog is is pretty magical to me. So um yeah, that's I know that's an easy one, but that that would be probably the only artist. I mean, even Rush, which is you know, one of my all-time favorite bands, they, when they got into a certain level, you know, you mentioned counterparts, like I didn't go deep on that or test for Echo. There's a handful of songs here and though there on those albums, but I never listened to all of it and, and loved all of it. But the Beatles, all of it. Yeah, Test for Echo is my is my tipping point with them where like I think that was the last album that like um I wasn't even I was just like, "Huh, okay, I enjoy this, but it's not it's not what I love," you know, and uh and I then, thought like, they I thought they brought things back around with uh, Clockwork Angels because that oh, was yeah. a uh, um it was a concept album and so I'm like, "All right, you know, and I, I did something which I recommend to anybody who's going to a concert where they know the band is going to feature a lot of the new music i listened to that album over and over over and over before i i went to the show and that then i started to appreciate all the songs on it yeah and you know that cover album they put out too the the influences oh, album was, was incredible fun. too yeah, yeah. I like that. it's good yeah. stuff uh number 10 what is your favorite john of all time uh sex maybe you know perfect answer right I mean, <laughs> it's I don't disagree either. Good. Uh, and, and, you know, you can never get tired of that. I, guess. I don't know if it's anything, anything and everything. Uh, yes. I would say sexual fornication would be probably my favorite John of all time. 
I love it. Put it put it, put it to uh put it to a bill and I'll uh, co-sign it. I'll co-sponsor <laughs> that. That's a that's a good, that's a great one. That is a great one. Um so you know the you you guys are locked in through 2030. Um do you have any any kind of uh big plans uh for the next few years of anything different or are we just following the gut and for the radio show? No. Yeah. I mean we're going to you know we're going to continue to to do what we do and have a good time and you know along the way come up with some new and interesting events and things to do but we're not going to reinvent the wheel or anything like that or make any gigantic changes uh so no nah, it's just uh go in every morning talk to the person that's listening and and by the way the the, the reason i say person listening is because i always envision it that way i know that there are thousands of people listening but i'm talking to you when i'm when i'm speaking on the radio so so i'll talk to that person and entertain that person uh every day that the the best we can well, it's really funny that you say that because when I listen to you and when I listen to radio in general, I'm always talking back and you guys never reply. But today has been uh, a wish fulfillment because it was like talking to my radio and my radio actually answered today. Uh, uh, Preston, thank you so much for doing this. It means so much to me, not just because of um, what you've meant to radio and what you've meant to Philadelphia and, you know, charities and stuff like that, but on a personal level. And let's see if I can get this out. My dad was an enormous fan of yours, and if he were still here and knew that I got to interview you, he would freak the fuck out. So oh, uh, thank man. you so much for doing this. It was it was something that, that we shared was a, a love of your show, and uh, I am just so honored um, that you took the time to talk to me while I sit in my dumb basement. Uh, my pleasure, and thank you for that compliment. That's, that's, those are my favorite compliments, when, when people uh, connect over our show we get it from time to time and it can be anything from uh you know a uh, uh a mother and son that don't really uh have a whole lot in common but when they're driving to school together uh we give them something to talk about or to laugh about together and so i love that you and your dad connected over our show that that means a lot to me and and you put on a great show man this has been a great interview you have some really awesome questions and and you got a great way about you so i, I appreciate it nate Thank you so much. And and let me just throw this out here that um, if if things don't work out with Steve, just give me a call. Uh, <laughs> I know it's been 25 years, but I'm still waiting. All right. My thanks again to Preston for joining me on the show today. You can catch the Preston and Steve show every morning from 530 to 1030 a.m. on 93.3 WMMR and on the WMMR's Preston and Steve daily podcast available on all major podcast providers. You can follow the show at PrestonSteve933 on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PrestonAndSteve. As always, links to all of those can be found in the show notes. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo That's My John podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And gang, it is not too late to get yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com for articles, merchandise, and links to all of the previous episodes of this podcast. And guys, while you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to get all of the updates delivered straight into your inbox. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yo that's my John for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at yo that's my John and search yo that's my John on YouTube to find the yo that's my John YouTube channel. 
Like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out, and touch some John. Man, what an episode. And I am glad you were all here to share in the groove. Blue skies. Until next time, everybody. Hey, yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be. Yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo that's my john at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. <laughs>